This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Julia Jacobs. Pangolins, often referred to as scaly anteaters or tengiling here in Malaysia, are fascinating creatures renowned for their unique armor-like scales and elusive nature. Despite their ecological importance in pest control, pangolins face dire threats from the illegal wildlife trade, their traffic for their scales and meat, and have the unfortunate distinction of being the most trafficked mammals globally. Facing extinction due to unsustainable exploitation, conservation efforts are crucial to safeguard pangolins and maintain ecosystem balance as their decline disrupts ecosystems, risking biodiversity loss and compromising ecosystems' resilience. So we celebrated World Pangolin Day earlier this February and we're set to uh, celebrate World Wildlife Day this Sunday actually and in conjunction with that, we're going to talk more about pangolins uh, with Kanita Krishnasamy. She's the Director of Traffic Southeast Asia and Elizabeth John, the Communications Manager also with Traffic Southeast Asia. We're going to discuss what more can be done to protect these precious creatures. Welcome ladies, how are you today? Hi, Juliet. Thanks Hi, for Juliet. having us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been such a rare occasion. I haven't had the both of you in the studio before, so this is really exciting. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, pangolins, but I think more specifically, cinder pangolins as well. Yeah, so um, I guess maybe before we start everything, just for anyone who's unfamiliar with the work that Traffic does, uh, you want to just quickly tell us about Traffic? Sure. We are an international organization that is focused on addressing the issue of trade in both plants and animals. And we've been based here in Southeast Asia, specifically in Malaysia for the last 30 years. Okay, 30 years. Wow. Okay. (laughs) And unfortunately, as we mentioned earlier, as I mentioned earlier, uh, pangolins are one of the most trafficked mammals uh, globally, right? Uh, What an unfortunate thing. But um, would you know or would you be able to explain to us the current status of cinder pangolins in terms of their population and their distribution? Sure. I guess the first thing to say around population is nobody really knows how many of them exist in the wild. They are um, rare and and threatened and not that easy to find sometimes. Mm -hmm. But they have a pretty wide range um, across Southeast Asia. And what we know for certain is that the population is going down. Um, And a lot of this is associated to the level of threat, which, you know, we will get into a little bit um, later. Um, But... The other thing to remember also is that they're not strict forest species in the sense that you find them in forests, but you can also find them in, I guess, good forests and crappy forests. <laughs> um, but you also find them in places like plantations. So they're pretty widespread as long as they have uh, their food source and they don't have uh, threats, basically people, mm-hmm. um, then they can survive in many different landscapes. So they're quite, they're quite, okay, let's talk about those main threats then, right? What are some of the main threats that Sunda pangolins face in their natural habitat? So one of the biggest threats, of course, is trade. Um, poaching and illegal trade is actually their primary threat right now across most of its range. Of course, habitat loss um, and land use change is a contributing threat as well. But the biggest contribution to their threat at this point in time is illegal is poaching and illegal trade. And the reason for that is that you have this sort of almost industrial level um, offtake from the wild where people are going in, they're capturing them, they're consolidating them, um, and they're shipping them out for illegal trade. Okay. And why... I guess, you know, what is fueling this trade, right? Why? What are the motivations behind the illegal trade of pangolins? You know, why are they so sought after? Historically, there's there's been um, use for uh, trophy and trinkets, for example. You've, we've seen, um, you know, their 
the skins are being used for shoes, for example, like leather shoes, leather products. But the the primary use at this point in time is uh, for traditional medicinal purposes. And what is being sought after largely is their scales. So their scales are essentially made out of keratin, the exact same thing that our nails are made out of. And that particular item is used for traditional medicinal purposes. We've had that the use is pretty widespread, I guess. Um, new mothers uh, have been known to use them, um, and it apparently uh, helps in in lactation. They have been used for arthritis and rheumatism, and you know all of these uses are very much around health and medicinal related um, properties. Okay. All right. So, and and that's sort of like a very deep rooted uh, traditions, I suppose, which is a bit hard to break in that sense. The sort of it is. Yeah. I mean, it's it's cultural. It's it's so embedded within um, human culture for a really really long time. So that is perhaps one of the greatest um, challenges in trying mm-hmm. to shift people's motivation to not use pangolin parts and products. But medicinal uses aside, um, what we've seen in the last few years also is that the, there's been a bit of a diversification in terms of pangolin um, uses. So, for example, um, the the scales are carved and they're used for... I guess trophy and jewelry purposes in some of the Ayoh. markets. Okay. Yeah, in some of the markets that we we have um, surveyed across Southeast Asia, you find these these pendants that are nicely carved, um, and there's basically a little hole at the top, like you know, for you to loop through a, a chain or a string and use it where it is a pendant. Um, they're also used for coining. I don't know if you're familiar with no. this term. It's it's something that is used in traditional medicine, in I, I guess in cultural practices. Basically, as far as I understand, it's it's you using the scale. So the scale, if you imagine, it's sort of like a larger guitar pick, right? Yeah. That's sort of its shape. Yeah. And then you sort of scrape your skin um, quite hard. Okay. And that's supposed to help with blood circulation. And it is a practice that has been commonly used for a really, really long time. And that is one of those products that we've seen being offered for sale in the market. Oh gosh, I had no idea. So you can't just use a guitar pick, la, you know, yeah, it has no. to be a, a scale from a tiny little pangolin yeah. for the best. Okay, yeah. all right. Sorry, a bit sarcastic. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I just don't understand. Okay, all right. Okay, so so I guess the motivations also have kind of evolved over time as well, right? What they're being used for, uh, the, the, I mean, the pangolin scales, of course. They have. And, and like many other wild animals, their meat is also used. Uh, mm. Their meat is also consumed. So you, you have the use for traditional medicine, you have the use for meat, and then, of course, you have these other trophy and jewellery type stuff that's appearing in the markets. Okay. All right. Okay. So so all of this kind of fueling um, the illegal trade that we were talking mm-hmm. about, right? So and, and how does that illegal trade actually play? I mean, what, what role does that illegal trade play in the decline of the Sunda? pangolin populations, you know, how how widespread is this issue la, that they finally got the title of most trafficked mammals, unfortunately? Unfortunately, indeed. Um, so I think the, I guess the simplest way of, of explaining this is that when you have such a huge amount of pangolins, Sunda pangolins more specifically, being poached and they are turning up in seizures, being made by law enforcement agencies, that in itself, uh, that in itself tells you the scale of the threat that they're facing. So, 
And honestly, nowhere is this more acute than in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Um, Malaysia, Indonesia are perhaps its its strongholds. Um, but these two countries are the two where we've seen a significant amount of confiscations of Sunda pangolins. Um, around 2015, the Indonesian government made a, a huge confiscation of about five tons wow. in Aceh. And that particular confiscation took place in a warehouse. So there have been pictures online. If you if you go online and you Google for Paul Hilton photos, Sunda pangolins, it's this almost this massive Massive pit of frozen pangolins in a oh grave. It's it's really harrowing. It's not a pretty picture at all. Okay. But that is the scale in which people are targeting Sunda pangolins. And you think this is a faraway problem in a different country. It's not. It's happening right here in Malaysia. And unfortunately, two of the biggest cases that we know of um, have taken place in Sabah. Actually, the first one is slightly different. In uh, 2009, we were fortunate enough to have access to logbooks that the Sabah Wildlife Department confiscated. And those logbooks were essentially records from warehouses um, in and around KK of people who were collecting pangolins mm-hmm. for sale. Mm-hmm. And when we you know, went through each one of those logbooks together with the Wildlife Department, Sabah Wildlife Department, it came up to about 20 tons of pangolins. Wow. So it's not a small amount. It's a huge amount that they've amassed over a long period of time. Uh, this was, you know, the, that, that access to the logbooks uh, came to us in around 2008-2009. But more recently, in 2019, this made headlines when it happened. Um, the Sabah authorities made another huge bust of pangolins, frozen pangolins. Um, and when they started tabulating uh, the volume, it came up to almost 30 tons. Oh, gosh. So for a long time, there's this huge question of, you know, where are the pangolins? They are slowly sort of being depleted. Um, around 2000, we saw a shift of um, in the market a shift from Asian pangolins to African pangolins. And so a, a huge sort of contributing um, thought towards that was we're not seeing these huge amounts of confiscations for Sunda pangolins. Mm. And then, bam, 2019, we find this massive seizure that's taken place right here in Malaysia. So it really drives home the message that uh, Sunda pangolins are still very much being sought after and they do exist. They are here um, in the wild here in Malaysia. And the people involved in, in the poaching and the trafficking continue to pursue them. Mm-hmm. And and just on that note, right, the, the people who are poaching and who are trafficking them, I mean, that is a syndicate, right? A huge syndicate that mm. is, right? I mean, it's not just under pangolins, of mm. course, but it is basically, a, you know, like drug type level sort of um, business that's being run as well, isn't it? It's highly organized mm. because, I mean, for, for people to be involved in this particular crime, they are targeting a single species, right? You, you don't find 20,000 pangolins in a single area, which means they've, they've got their entire networks on the ground who are collecting them, who are consolidating them, who are transporting them. Um, so it's a huge network um, that 
you know, enables people to collect this over a long period of time to enable a shipment in several tons. It's it's not it's no small feat. I mean, mm-hmm. you and I couldn't do that. Yeah. You know, you'd yeah. have to have your people on the ground. You have to identify who your transporters are. Are you transporting them by lorry, by trucks, by train? And then if you're going to ship them out of the country, are you doing them... Um, of course, the, the fastest way to do that in the largest volume is shipping containers. Mm-hmm. So you have to have contacts in the right places to be able to do that. Okay. All right. So highly organized and, um, yeah, okay. All right. So we okay. So we've spoken about the illegal trade. Um, any, any specific regions or hotspots where the illegal trade is more prevalent? So basically here you were saying, right? Yeah. For, for Sunda Pangolins, I, I would say Malaysia and Indonesia certainly is sort of high on the list of, um, of locations being targeted. And mm-hmm. we know that based on law enforcement effort from a confiscation point of view, at least. But I mean, if you're talking about pangolins more generally, um, there are the eight species of pangolins that are recognized in the world today, four in Asia uh, and four in Africa. And when we're talking about, about threats, um, the, this other new thing made news last year about a potential new discovery uh, of a new species mm-hmm. of pangolins, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the unfortunate or sad thing about this is that the discovery of a new species came from specimens that were confiscated. You know, it's not about discovering them in the wild, the discovery came from confiscated specimens. Okay. So scientists didn't even have a chance to reach them. The poachers got to them first. Yeah, I mean, mean the the research around that is is still ongoing. Uh, But, you know, it it really gives you the scale of of the problem in that sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Um, Let's just go for a quick break. When we come back, uh, let's talk about some of, I guess, the challenges, yeah, or obstacles uh, faced in combating the legal trade of Sunda pangolins and also some of the efforts that Traffic is uh, working on to protect them. I'm speaking today to Kanita Krishnasamy. She's the director of Traffic Southeast Asia and Elizabeth John, the communications manager. Sorry, Elizabeth, we haven't heard from you yet. We're going to get, we're going to speak to you after this, of course. Uh, we're talking about um, scaling up survival of uh, pangolins, yeah, protecting them from exploitation and extinction. We'll continue that discussion after this quick break. Keep it here on Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Joining me in the studio today are Kanita Krishnasamy. She's the Director of Traffic Southeast Asia and Elizabeth John. She's the Communications Manager with Traffic Southeast Asia. We are talking about pangolins today, uh, Sunda pangolins in particular. It was World Pangolin Day uh, earlier in February and of course this Sunday it's World Wildlife Day. So we're putting a focus on this poor creature which is unfortunately the most trafficked mammal globally. Uh, We're finding out more about why that's happening. So uh, Kanita, before the break, you know, you explained well, I guess, you know, what's fueling this trade and, you know, all those sorts of uh, things, right? But what what are some of the, I guess, challenges or are there specific obstacles that conservationists and, you know, groups such as traffic face uh, in combating this illegal trade of Sunda pangolins? And I suppose, you know, pangolins in general as well. Mm. Oh, we can sit here and talk about challenges all day <laughs> because there are many. Yes. Um, but I guess, you know, from... From the perspective of addressing trafficking, um, you know, one of the things that we're constantly advocating for is that these these seizures that I, I talked about, they present a, a unique and absolutely um, important opportunity to identify the people behind trafficking. Mm-hmm. So while, yes, it's, you know, all sort of uh, doom and gloom when you find a huge volume of pangolins confiscated, it the investigations behind that 
becomes absolutely crucial because what that means is that we're able to identify the individuals and more importantly, we're able to prosecute them uh, strongly and to make sure that the conviction and the outcomes from those uh, prosecution is strong. Mm -hmm. And I think that can send a really strong message because if you've got over a thousand confiscations and then a very, very small number of individuals are prosecuted. It sends the message that, well, it's not really a serious crime and, you know, we can tolerate it. You're not really going to be penalised. And by law, the penalties in Malaysia are pretty strong. Mm -hmm. You can be jailed up to 5, 10 years. The the fines go up to millions of ringgit. Um, so it's a question of, can we mount a strong prosecution and make sure the people identified? Uh, for this trafficking yeah. are convicted. Yeah. And it's not as easy as, as you know, you you would think it is. Um, so Malaysia's role is, is quite unique. As I said earlier, we are, Sunapanglin is, is, um, is found here in Malaysia. And there have been a lot of cases where they have been poached and trafficked and confiscated. But equally, there, Malaysia has a unique role um, where African pangolins are coming in and through Malaysia. Mm. So what happens is that the pangolins' uh, scales largely are shipped out of the African continent. They come into Malaysia or they move through Malaysia to a different country. Now, we've had quite a number of cases over the last, um, well, since 2017. And the... I guess the, the challenging thing is identifying these individuals because very often you have a huge shipment with bogus information, which means you have no idea who the, the real individuals are. The name is bogus, the address is bogus. It's very difficult to tie somebody down to an illegal, to an illegal shipment. Yeah. But when you find one, you want to make sure that sticks. And for the first time, um, we had one such case where an individual uh, was linked to a shipment. He was prosecuted. This was a particular case in, in Sabah um, from 2017. Um, and unfortunately, that particular case uh, was not did not result in a conviction. Mm. In fact, they didn't even proceed because the judge found that there wasn't enough evidence to proceed with the case. Okay. Um, and so, you know, cases like that, they are a they're a bit of a demotivation to a lot of the law enforcement agencies who have invested so much time and effort to investigating the crime that resulted in a particular confiscation. Because mm. it's not easy to confiscate shipments. You're, you're talking about millions and millions of containers going through ports around the world, right? Yeah. It's literally finding needle in a haystack. It's so impossibly difficult to find them. And when you find them, you want to make sure that you find the people behind them and then they are prosecuted and convicted effectively. But that didn't happen, unfortunately, in our case. Okay. Okay, so that's a huge challenge. No wonder we need to do a whole other episode just on that, I suppose, yeah. Um, <laughs> and But they are... I mean, all eight, eight species are actually, I mean, protected, right? They 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 um been prohibited from international commerce trade. I think that's since twenty seventeen under CITES, right? Mm -hmm. How successful would you know this and other sorts of conservation efforts? How would you rate the success uh, in addressing the legal trade of the pangolins? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a huge debate around whether you should ban trade in species mm. or encourage trade. Um, to, in an effort to try and protect them. Yeah. I think there are various schools of thoughts around that. And I think 
um, for us, it's important to remember that um, you want to control trade when a species is threatened, particularly for critically endangered species. It sends the message that they are threatened, the population is going down, we want to protect them, we want to safeguard them, and therefore trade is prohibited. And that applies, of course, to, to Sundar pangolins. And actually, the three of the four Asian species of pangolins are considered critically endangered. Mm -hmm. But as you said, international commercial trade in pangolins globally is prohibited. Mm -hmm. And actually, for, for, for Asian pangolins... Um, most of them have been prohibited from trade since uh, 2000. But we've seen a shift, as I said earlier, we've seen a shift in the huge demand for pangolins in Asia. Because that demand was still there, there was, there was a need to supply them into the market. We saw a shift moving from Asia to Africa. And unfortunately, now we're in this situation, situation. Yeah. where all eight pangolin species of the world are in demand. And I mean, one of the things that traffic does is we look at data, we look at evidence. And we looked at um, 38 years worth of pangolin trade globally. And two things came up. One was, as I said earlier, we saw a, a, an obvious shift of pangolins being targeted in, on the African continent and not just in, in Asia. And the other thing that we saw was that an average of about 27 new routes came up per year for traffickers to move their shipments. And this is really, it's a tactic, right? Yeah. If you keep sort of targeting law enforcement effort in one place, it doesn't make financial sense for them to keep moving stuff there. So they're going to shift their pattern. And so when we looked at this data, this is what it showed. 27 new routes coming up on an annual basis who has the resources and the time to deal with that, yeah. you know? So that's why we say, you know, I said earlier about if you find somebody that has been linked to an illegal shipment, you want to put everything you have against that from an investigations perspective mm -hmm. to make sure the prosecution is as strong as it can be so that they can be convicted. But that's not always the case, of course. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but this also speaks to the other challenge that enforcement agencies face. Mm -hmm. How many agencies have the ability to, you know, deal with 27 new routes mm -hmm. a year? Mm -hmm. You know, they're already stressed and strained for manpower, for resources to look at the trade, the illegal trade in so many species. You know, this is uh, just makes uh, the job even more difficult. Mm -hmm. There doesn't seem to be a kind of clear-cut solution to this either, unfortunately, does there? I mean, you can talk about adding enforcement, but again, it, it's, so, it's so hard. Like, there's not enough manpower, there's not mm. enough, I suppose, interest also. There's not enough, like, willpower mm. to want to protect a particular species like this. I wouldn't say that there's no willpower, and particularly because uh, the uh, unfortunate situation facing the pangolins has gained so much attention over the years. So, you know, they, the, the sense of urgency is there. Mm -hmm. uh, the question is, you know, whether you whether a country has uh, the resources to put towards it. When, especially in biodiverse countries like, like Malaysia, yeah. uh, you know, you have to take care of so many species. All of them are being, you know, taken out and uh, trafficked. So I guess it's a question of priority sometimes, mm. unfortunately. Okay. But you do, of course, work and collaborate with enforcement agencies, mm. right? Um, you want to tell us a little bit about your efforts, traffic's efforts? Sure. I mean, as I said earlier, we, we, we invest a lot in finding out 
that information, getting the evidence. And mm-hmm. so when we have that information that is channeled immediately to law enforcement agencies for action, um, a big part of what we do is around uh, training and capacity building, not just for law enforcement agencies, but also with private sectors. Mm. So, I mean, one of the things that have um, emerged in the last, I guess, uh, few years is the use of um, postal services for trafficking. And rhino horns, pangolin scales, all of them have been trafficked through postal services. So one of the, I guess, more exciting um, collaborations we have ongoing is uh, with the postal sector, particularly with Post Malaysia. Uh, we started this around 2019. And it was, you know, it was generally a simple concept of engaging with them and spreading awareness about the issue of wildlife trafficking. How is it happening? Why is it happening? And how can the postal sector be part of the solution because they are basically the agencies who are handling these packages and they do have a role to play. They come into contact with these packages. Can they stop them before it's too late? Can they stop them from being shipped to the consumer? And since 2019, we've had this engagement and we've seen an increase in the detection of suspicious packages containing wildlife. It's It's, It's not a small level. It's a tenfold um, increase, you know, so that's, I guess that's the value of continuing that level of engagement, whether it's simple awareness or providing tools and resources for training and for capacity building. And we have the same level of, of engagement with a number of law enforcement agencies across Southeast Asia as well. Okay. And and globally as well? I mean, traffic does a lot of work globally as well, isn't it? To yeah, to protect not just pangolins, but yeah. Absolutely. Other wildlife. Yeah, it's it's global. I mean, the the level of engagement that we have with I guess primarily law enforcement agencies and private sectors is at a global um, scale. Um, I mean, when we're talking about um, shipping containers full of um, African pangolin scales coming out of Africa into Southeast Asia, you have to work at a global level Mm. because somebody who's shipping something out of Nigeria, for example, moving them to a Middle Eastern country and coming into Southeast Asia... You're talking about a minimum of three countries. Mm. You have to work together to be able to identify the people behind them. The methods in which, you know, the trafficking is is taking place, what sort of modalities are being used to to transport them from point A to point B to the end destination. So that level of collaboration at a global scale is absolutely crucial. Okay, and something and something that you know you guys are working very hard on uh, and building those networks as well. I'm sure mm. that's very very important mm. and integral to your work as well, right? Yeah. Okay, so that's that's kind of on that level, right? But on a more sort of like personal level, so we you know we talked about how you know pangolin scales are being used for what was it coining? Did coining. you see coining and things like that? So again, uh, part of your work is also I think to engage with you know people, right? Mm. Uh, just on a personal level, and I do know that uh, you recently released an animated story on pangolins, right? And the trafficking uh, threats that they face, and that was of course in celebration of World Pangolin Day. Uh, World Pangolin Day. It's a very heartwarming tale called the Astounding Secret Pangolin. Can you tell us more, Elizabeth? Uh, Yeah, so we worked with, um, well, basically, we were very lucky to have a donation Mm -hmm. from an artist uh, and a a writer uh, based in the UK of a storybook that they did on pangolins. And um, they did this story based on um, the fact that they were in the Natural History Museum uh, in the UK, and uh, they saw a fact sheet on the pangolins, and they had never heard 
of the animal before. Really? Or rather, okay. Mary, Mary Hayes, the, the, the one who wrote the story, said she'd never heard of the pangolin before. And uh, she was so shocked to find out that, you know, at this point in time when she's finding out about it, it's already so threatened. And she wanted to find a way to tell the story um, that would be, um, you know, not so depressing. Uh, find a way to bring forward the story of this poor beleaguered animal and uh, in, in the nicest way possible. So she contacted um, Jeanette, who uh, was the illustrator of the book, and uh, together they, they did the book and uh, they then decided to donate it to traffic. And uh, we had a graphic designer at that time who started working on it uh, to animate it. And then um, he left us uh, for another job, but continued to work on a voluntary basis <laughs> on the animation. Okay. And uh, so we were very, very lucky to finally have that uh, lovely story uh, to tell people okay. on World Pangolin Day. And, and why did you want to use animation as that tool? I mean, it, I guess it was basically using animation as a tool of convers uh, conversation. Well, yes, conversation, conversation and yes, on conservation, is. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, traffic, uh, we, we very often in the office say that we have a terrible habit of depressing people. I say the uh, same thing on my show. Don't <laughs> worry, we are <laughs> aligned. And uh, we wanted to tell the story uh, in a way that would uh, give uh, those watching it, uh, especially children in this case, um, a way to uh, receive the information, sensitive or, or difficult information, um, in a nice, nice and pleasant way, a way that would uh, tell them that the animal is uh, endangered, but at the same time tell them uh, that there is hope, that there is something that they can do. Mm -hmm. And uh, so basically the, the story is about uh, a mother pangolin and her pup. Yes, and baby pangolins are called pups. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, how uh, how they live in the forest and uh, the threats that appear in the forest and uh, how the mother pangolin will protect her pup. And also it speaks uh, about uh, the many, many ways that this animal is um, unfortunate. So it's unfortunate, we know, in the sense that it's trafficked a lot. But really, when you're talking about unlucky, this is one heck of an unlucky animal because it has no teeth. <laughs> Right, it has claws which it uses for digging, but never against a predator. Uh, and its main defense mechanism is to curl up into a ball, which makes it easier for the poacher to pick it up. So you know, it, it's really unlucky on so many levels. I think I relate to pangolins quite a bit. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. So it was. Yeah. You know. So it it makes the animal relatable, and that's why we did it. But the whole thing about bringing animation in is because we do understand that uh, children will respond more mm -hmm. to uh, things that move. And uh, this was the first thought of the uh, designer, uh, Faril Izadi, uh, when he first saw the book and saw the illustrations and we were having uh, a discussion with the authors. Um, he said, you know, I can make it move. And I think this is what will get uh, the children's attention. Okay. And uh, sure enough, recently uh, we had a write-up of the um, 
story and the animation in uh, the Singapore Straits Times. And they interviewed, uh, they showed the animation to some children and they uh, interviewed them. And uh, that was the thing that really got them, oh, you know, the, the whole the whole movement, the sound, the look. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's what got them interested to, to watch it till the end. I mean, it's only four minutes, but, you know, there's no saying what uh, the attention span of a child is nowadays. Correct, yeah. Uh, so they, they watched it to the end and, and they really uh, responded to it. Okay. And I, I'm also curious because um, it would... You know, you're also trying to put in sort of like um, scientific sort of knowledge as well into this animation, right? And how was that kind of balanced, uh, you know, when producing this animation? Uh, how would you describe it? Yeah. Yeah. So we um, kept the story simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to maintain the children's attention. But what has happened is with the launch of this animation, we've also created a whole package of uh, learning and teaching materials for teachers. And uh, we are um, sharing it as English language lessons and art lessons that uh, teachers or even parents can do with their children after watching this animation. And it's all available free for download from the traffic website. And, um, you know, we we started off wanting to do this for Malaysian schools, but, you know, with the power of the internet and, you know, why not make it available to anyone anywhere in the world? Uh, After all, they're pangolins both in, you know, uh, Asia and Africa. Yeah. So anyone can use it then, right? I mean, I could use it with my kids as well, right? It's just free for everyone, you know, just watch it. And then um, there's, I guess, you know, other activities that you can do. Yes, there there are many activities that they can do. And, you know, it it really, uh, the lessons are just a suggestion. You can uh, use use that video for so much more. And, uh, you know, we'd love to hear from people who have used it, you know, even reading it with their children or play acting or, you know, making anything creative uh, after watching the video. We'd love to hear back from them and they can, you know, uh, get, get in touch with us uh, on our Facebook page and, okay. uh, you know, just share photos or I mean, just to know that, um, I mean, for us, the important thing is to know that it's being used. Mm-hmm. And and the message about pangolins is getting out there. Okay, okay. Yeah. I will get back to you. I will go and watch <laughs> that, and I will do because I actually, you know, I somebody gave me gifted me a book about pangolins before. It was just a storybook, and my child, I think, was maybe four at the time, and that's how she learned about poachers. Mm-hmm. Poor child. Um, and now she she's very aware of what poachers are, and she's like, we must protect animals at all costs. So. You never know what might actually spark something in the little ones. Yeah, right? and I can give you a really nice example recently. Uh, uh, an enforcer who works, um, you know, who works in wildlife uh, enforcement, uh, showed the um, pangolin animation to his daughter, mm-hmm. who then, you know, responded to him after watching it and saying, you know, Daddy, you've got to go and get those evil guys. <laughs> so, you know, that, that's exactly the, yeah. the reaction you want. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that we're glad to see that the animation is getting that reaction. Okay, okay. So again, available at the traffic website and anybody can use it, yeah? Yes, but exactly. But do, do let you know once you've used it, maybe just drop you guys a message, right? Yes, or some... That would be nice. Thanks. Okay, okay, excellent. So so that's really uh, great. And so the, those are some of the actions, I guess, you hope to come from it. But just, just kind of going back, and I guess, you know, as we conclude, right, so we always want to talk about solutions, right? Um, are there any sort of legislative or policy changes that you believe will actually significantly contribute to Sunda Pangolin conservation? Well, I think there's always room for improvement. But even if nothing changes, the laws and the policies and the regulations that we have in place right now are pretty good. Mm. So it really comes down to investing enough resources and time and effort to do what needs to be done and just implementing all of the measures that have already been identified. Okay. 
All right. So it's it's there. It's just again uh, more implementation. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Elizabeth, anything you wanted to add to that? Um, I mean, legislative and policy changes are one thing, but I think uh, a lot more can be invested in uh, talking to the people who use pangolin scales. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we are starting that on a very, very small basis now here uh, by talking to traditional medicine uh, practitioners in Malaysia, not, not specifically on the pangolins, but on all species in trade that are used for traditional medicines. And I think uh, a lot more uh, has to be done in this area to, you know, actually address the demand that is driving uh, the the trafficking. And, you know, we um, we can't, you know, just depend on the policy, legislative, mm-hmm. law side of things. I mean, you, you do want to get the bad guys, but you also want to... F- to uh, you know, influence the people who are driving that that demand in the first place. You want to end that demand pretty much, yes. isn't it? So, yeah. okay, so on a community level as well, right? And and it's not just a local community problem, it's a, it's a global community problem as well, right? Uh, any role that the international community could play in, uh, you know, further supporting Sunda Pangolin conservation? There's, there's a lot that's going on. I mean, one of the things we said earlier is that there's no one solution yeah. to a problem like this. Um, so as Elizabeth just said, the consumption angle is quite important um, and there are two parts to when, you, when you're talking about consumer there's the trader who's offering the product and there's the consumer who's buying that product mm. so that interaction between um, trader and consumer is quite important um, we've talked quite extensively around law enforcement effort but it's not just law enforcement it's also the judiciary who have an absolutely crucial role to play when it comes to making sure that the traffickers are penalized to the fullest extent of the law and that's not at a scale or at at a situation where we would like it to be i think there's so much more room for improvement um one of the things that organizations like Traffic and many others are doing are actually engaging with the judiciary sector to, I guess, drive home the message that wildlife crime is a serious crime. And this is actually recognized by law in, in most countries, certainly here in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why you see really high penalties being imposed for wildlife crime. So that level of, of improvement and engagement and sort of strengthening ju- judiciary effort is is quite important. Um, of course, working on the ground is is really important, um, and it's this is true for so many other species uh, that are being targeted in the wild, right? So it's about making sure you've got more boots on the ground, um, making sure that there are enough anti poaching patrols, um, making sure that the people living in and around um, threatened species home are aware of the threats and whether or not they can be sort of brought into the fold as part of the solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we, we've been doing in the past also is about engaging with uh, schools. Um, I think the value of education, you know, is is so absolutely crucial. Whether you are a child, whether you are a community, whether you're a law enforcement, whether you're a private sector body, as you said earlier, you know what what you know is 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 information, and that information can manifest different ways in different mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. and maybe that can change into bringing them into the fold to be part of the solution. Um, donor communities absolutely important um, because without that that 
funding uh, being invested into conservation for sundar pangolins and others um it's almost impossible to do what needs to be done without that funding for sure um and it's not just within donor communities a lot of that is within the remit of national governments um you know how much funding is allocated for environmental causes for wildlife departments or forest departments it directly translates to how much they can invest in protecting species on the ground so if that level of investment that funding and that resources are not being allocated to them then they do less because they just don't have the bandwidth to to do everything when you're already an overstretched um government agency okay all right and when you talk about international community or or community what would be really really nice is every, everyone to realize that they can play a role you know you don't have to be an enforcement officer you don't have to be a conservationist there are many many ways that each and every person can help um you know do you work in the airline sector for instance do you work uh, in shipping you know there's so much shipping and airlines can do uh, to disrupt the trafficking chains uh and uh, you know there's so much um you know the people who donated the artwork to us you know there's so much that artists designers people like this can do to help with the production of materials that will ha- help raise awareness and then you know uh, have an knock on impact mm-hmm. whether it's for a child or for an enforcement officer or whether it's you know it's a simple poster at a border border post for you know the officer to uh, see a picture of a bag of pangolin scales and realize when he sees it in a car boot that that's exactly what he's meant to be stopping. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everyone has a role to play um, and that will be the really nice thing to see uh, happen on on the ground when you're talking about, you know, the international community. Mm-hmm. Even if you see it if it's being traded on uh, social media channels, right? I mean, that's another yeah. way also you that know, you can reporting wildlife crime. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and maybe not publicizing um where exactly uh pangolins are if you happen to see them in the wild yeah. you know keep that as your you know your lucky sighting and you know don't let people know yeah or even if you have to you just just don't identify the location, location right yes. just don't yeah. ever do that okay all right ladies thank you so much uh, for joining me today um i did mention that is world wildlife day uh, coming up soon and of course you know that's, that's kind of the center of the lot of the work that you do right any concluding message that you'd like to leave our listeners with before i let you both go I sound like I'm keeping you uh, imprisoned here but <laughs> before we end this conversation is what I meant to say. Well, I guess you know everything that we've we've talked about um is is quite important. Um for us we we always you know want to try and get the message out um as much as we can as widely as we can. Um I think and people receive information differently. I think mm-hmm. there's some people who who like um the detailed you know technical data driven type stuff and if you're into all of that then i would absolutely recommend that you go to the traffic website because we are there's no shortage of you know technical Reports. data <laughs> yeah you uh, know all of those detailed information yeah. but it's not just about the science um around the species there's a huge amount of work that is going into changing people's behavior and reducing demand and there's actually an element of science into that right because mm-hmm. Changing people's behavior is not easy. I mean, mm. everybody knows, you know, drinking, driving is against the law. It doesn't stop people from doing it, right? Yeah. Equally, people know some species are protected, and it is against the law to buy them, consume them, use them. And so, 
how how can we solve this problem? And it is something that requires a whole different um, set of approaches, different set of, as Elizabeth said, different types of people to come together to try and solve this problem. So I guess the, the message really is to to learn about these issues because um, conservation is very much an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a lot that people who are not working in, in conservation or NGOs or, or law enforcement can do and have a, a, a really critical role to play in that. I mean, it's as simple as if it becomes a topical issue and people start talking about them in the media, that has a really powerful way of sending that message across to decision makers. Maybe that results in a change in policy. Mm. Maybe that can influence the government to allocate more resources for a particular species or to a particular government agency. So having that conversation and having that conversation openly is is quite important. And I think it's it's quite a powerful message to send across. Okay. Thank you so much again for uh, for joining me today. And of course, you know, as you mentioned, Kanita, uh, the website is uh, traffic.org. Uh, all the information is there. And of course, you guys are very active on social media as well, right? So that's uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, X, X, sorry, X, yes. uh, uh, TikTok? No? Not no, yet. no. Okay. Yet. So Facebook, Instagram and X. Um, do follow Traffic there. Again, my thanks to both of my guests. I was speaking to Kanita Krishnasamy, the Director of Traffic Southeast Asia, and Elizabeth John, the Communications Manager at Traffic Southeast Asia. We were talking about protecting pangolins from exploitation and extinction. If you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always search for the podcast at bfm.my earth. You can also find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.